This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we're introducing the new head football coach, Matt Coyne. Plus, men's basketball head coach John Fribush is now the winniest coach in program history. And men's track and field took home the indoor state championship. All that plus a squash thriller coming up on the Bates Bobcast. Bates College Director of Athletics Jason Fine announced Tuesday the appointment of Matt Coyne, defensive coordinator for Wesleyan University and 2012 Cardinal alumnus, as the 22nd head football coach in Bates' 127-year program history. And the first thing he did as head coach was join the Bobcast. Well, happy to be talking with the new head football coach of the Bates Bobcats, Matt Coyne, with us here on the Bobcast. And Coach Coyne, First of all, uh, introduce yourself here a little bit to maybe the Bates community. Tell us a little bit about your background growing up. How did you start playing football as a kid? And and what eventually led you to actually uh, playing in the NESCAC? Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be on. And uh, it's a great day to be a Bobcat. Uh, I know that's the new saying. And that's what I'm going to be saying a lot of. I'm super excited about the opportunity. Um, growing up, football, it was uh, in my DNA. My father was a coach. Uh, I played Pop Warner all the way through in high school. Bristol, Connecticut native. Uh, after high school, was looking at some Ivy League schools and ended up finding my way into the NESCAC. I uh, attended Williams College, then halfway through, transferred to Wesleyan, which is a unique situation, um, but really paved my way to, you know, why I wanted to coach and get into this profession. Um, so, you know, halfway through, transferred to uh, Wesleyan and was part of a uh, cultural enhancement um, and turning a program into a consistently winning program. Um, was there, you know, two years and then went into coaching after that as a graduate assistant, uh, did a couple stints, uh, in Ohio and came back to the East coast and then found my way back to Wesleyan, um, been there for the past five seasons as the defensive coordinator, um, and been, you know, fortunate enough to continue the winning tradition there. And then I'm curious about, you know, having played quarterback on offense, when you transitioned to a, being a defensive coordinator, what was that like for you? How did you kind of almost learn to coach the other side of the ball? It was something that I thought was crucial to the development and, you know, I, my aspirations of being a head coach. I think it's super important to see both sides of the ball, uh, diversify yourself as a coach. Playing the quarterback position, obviously you get all the fame and then you get all the blame. You know, that's one of the things. And that's the, you're the only person that touches the ball in every single play. Um, you know, it was definitely a difficult transition beginning uh, in the beginning. Um, but playing quarterback, you're obviously, and being on the offense, you're obviously targeting how the defense aligns. And, you know, when I switched over on the defensive side of the ball, I found it to be a little bit easier having that quarterback background, just understanding how, you know, formational alignments or different, you know, substitution packages, you know, affected what the offense was calling. I think it definitely helped me, you know, as a defensive mind say, Hey, you know, this is what I was trying to do on the offensive side. Now let's try to take some of that away. Um, from the defensive perspective. And I'm curious, obviously, you're very familiar with Bates, uh, having coached against Bates the last, you know, few years. And uh, this year, it was a very close game at Garcelon Field, 27-24. Wesleyan pulled it out there. Uh, but, you know, what were your observations about the Bates offense? How did you kind of approach that game? Well, I mean, we knew, obviously, Costa. Uh, he's been a guy that, that on any given day, he can, he can tear you apart uh, defensively. Um, and they have Muhammad Dewara as a wide receiver. They have some great players that we knew that were going to pose a challenge. And to be quite honest, we, we, we were very fortunate to walk out of there with a W. We were uh, reeling a little bit towards the end of that game. Um, you know, they competed very hard. And, and right out of the gates, you know, we were on our heels a little bit. And you could tell. I, I mean, I talked about it with some of the guys on the team. The first play they ran is, is wide stack two by two switch verts. And we knew it was coming and we gave up a 40 yard pass on it. And up in the box, I was sitting there like, well, we worked on that all week. So this, this, this isn't a good sign on the first, on the first rep. But uh, that was one thing that stuck out to me is that the way they competed, um, you know, they, they were not, that was an even, even playing field, even game. There was no, um, back down from Bates. And I think that, you know, whenever you have that type of quarterback and, and skilled players um, and that sort of passion and desire when you're playing on Garcelon Field, it's a, 
you know, that's a, it's tough to come up and play Bates at Bates. And that's something that we're going to take pride in, you know, it, it's, it's our home field. And um, we know how difficult it is for teams to come in here and perform. And for us, you know, we were one little tip pass away and, and, you know, the ball found our cornerback in all honesty, and we walked out of there with the three point win. Um, but we were definitely reeling on that last drive. Uh, they were moving the ball down the field and, and we were very fortunate. We scampered out of there. We got out of there pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and then now, obviously, you know, being the new head coach here at Bates, when you found out about the opening, what made it um, appealing to you? Um, well, the NESCACs, you know, obviously had a crucial impact on my life. And, and I've always known I wanted to coach um, in this conference and, and given the opportunity, um, you know, I wanted to go up and sort of see the campus feel and really the commitment to excellence that I felt when I first was able to speak with the administration and the players and that initial, you know, interview, I just knew that there, there was that sense of urgency to be successful. And that's something that's super important when, when you're looking at taking a position as a head coach, um, you know, you just don't take any head coaching job. You, you know, you want to take a job where you feel that you're supported in the right way. Um, the players are bought in um, to what your vision is. And there's that, you know, earning for you know, that yearn for success. And, and I really did feel that from the top down administration wise and being on campus, the inclusive feel um, I felt at home, you know, when I was meeting people for the first time. And I know from speaking with, you know, some alums and people affiliated with Bates, that's one of the main reasons, you know, that they had such a great experience at Bates. Um, so, you know, that's something that sticks out to me. And I think when you're when you surround yourself with good people, it's the old saying, good things are going to happen. Um, and that's what we're planning to do here. Who are some of your coaching mentors? Who do you look up to? Who do you take after or will plan on take after as a head coach? Yeah, so Coach Mike Whalen recruited me out of high school. Um, he's my coach at Williams, at Wesleyan. And then, you know, obviously a mentor through the coaching profession. He's taken over as AD, but he was a second father to me. And really just how he, you know, guided me through the recruiting process and how he sort of nurtured me as a player. Um, he was very you know, hard on me in the right way. You know, he, he there was a process, there was a, uh, you know, we were going to stick to a process and it was discipline approach. And he really, you know, instilled in me what it takes to take a team to the next level. Um, and it really brought a lot out of me, um, him as well as coach Sidlecki. Um, coach Jack Sidlecki, he was the Yale head coach uh, for many years. And then he was my OC when I transferred into Wesleyan. Um, I talked to him on a consistent basis. He always jokes around. He's like, there's not too many uh, younger guys that call 70 year old every week to bounce ideas off of. And I'll continue using him as a resource, um, you know, throughout my time coaching. Um, and Dan Desenzo, um, who's a head coach there right now, he, you know, gave me the opportunity to come back, um, put me in a role of defensive coordinator after I've been on the offensive side of the ball um, for many years. Not too many guys would take that that chance on somebody with that inexperience on that side of the ball. And he gave me the opportunity to grow. Um, and really over the past five seasons, he's let me, you know, take over the role of the defensive coordinator fully calling plays. And, you know, that type of experience is invaluable um, as you get into, you know, the area where you want to become a head coach and a successful head coach. And so different head coaches have different philosophies on, on play calling both offensively and defensively. Some head coaches like to really, you know, have their hand in play calling on one side of the ball or the other, and some just completely delegate to their coordinators. Do you have a strategy in your mind of how you plan on approaching things like that? Yes. You know, I plan on hiring the uh, staff that's going to support our student athletes the best way in all facets, not just on the field, in the classroom, in the community, on the campus. You know, obviously we want them to have some good knowledge of X's and O's and they do. Um, but we want to hire the best guys. And I, you know, I feel like I'm going to hang out on the defensive side of the ball more, but obviously I have to monitor both sides and understand it. And I think it goes back to what we talked about being an offensive coordinator first and then switching to the defensive side of the ball. That's crucial for a head coach because, you know, you need to be able to know what's going on on both sides of the ball, because at the end of the day, those decisions come down, you know, they fall on you as the head coach. You have to make the calls in certain situations, pressure moments, and you have to understand what, you know, style you're playing on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I feel very confident in some of the offensive coaches that I, you know, plan to bring along with me and the process here. And then, but on the defensive side, I think that's where I'll hang my hat a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I feel confident in that. And, you know, but again, we're going to have, I'm going to have a little bit of a hand in both sides, but definitely don't want to micromanage our coaches. I want to let them coach. I want to let them grow um, because the only way to gain experience is to go through these. You know, you, no coach can teach you experience. And same thing goes for coaches as well. So what is your kind of philosophy on defense? What kind of approach do you favor? 
So my approach is let's get to third down. And that, that's a big thing for me. I, I, I really think that if you're solid in your base and, and what I say to guys all the time, and it's, I've said it at Wesleyan, um, how many teams go on five or six, 12 play drives in a game and score touchdowns on every drop? You know, not many. And if they do that, sometimes you have to tip your hat. You know, they might just have your number that day. But what we want to do is not give up easy six, you know, easy touchdowns, you know, you know, make them earn every point. We're okay with giving up three points, but in our base on first and second down, if we can get to third down, now it puts the pressure on the offense to execute. And now we can disguise and we're going to have a little bit of pressure packages in there and a little bit of, uh, you know, one high coverage, zero coverage as well on third downs, but we got to get there first. Um, and again, it's, it's about, you know, shortening the game the right way. Uh, you know, playing to our players' abilities and and really just putting the pressure back on the offense and, and dictating on the defensive side of the ball, which is very hard to do. And then recruiting, obviously, is the lifeblood of any program, no matter what level. And then, you know, you look at the NESCAC, we talk often about, like, there's guys who are, like, you know, grew up wanting to play in the NESCAC, you're going to be competing against other schools for them, but then also they need to think outside the box, find guys who maybe not even thought about the NESCAC before. How do you approach recruiting-wise? Because I know you recruited all over the country for Wesleyan. You know, the great thing about these institutions and, and Bates College in, in specific is, you know, first and foremost is the academic experience and obviously the experience on the campus with the people that they're going to meet and the networking that's going to provide for the, you know, next 40 to 50 years of their lives. That, that's the most important part, the enhancement of the overall experience. So as I'm talking to recruits, you know, across the country, that's going to be the main point I drive home is that this experience is going to be something that you really can't pass up. Um, and from, a you know, just from recruiting, you know, countrywide, things like that, is we just need to cast a wider net. Um, so, you know, I, I believe that, you know, we can dip into California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Illinois. Those are five of the states that I really feel comfortable expanding into. And I think, like you said, there's a lot of, you know, academic institutions that are elite in this area right here in the NESCAC, and we're going to be recruiting against a lot of them. So we want to try to make the biggest, most diverse pool that we can have so that we're able to have a higher yield percentage. Um, but really it's targeting the right guys, the right people that are going to fit into the culture, um, into the process and, and the discipline of what we're going to teach here that are on the same path as what you know we envision here um, in order to achieve success. I know you, you touched on this earlier, but you were part of a somewhat significant turnaround, I think, at Wesleyan in terms of, I, I know for years, Wesleyan struggled in football and, and recently has been very, very solid and, and winning records pretty much every season. Um, Bates obviously had a winning record, you know, back in 2012, but it's been a bit of a, a, a struggle in recent years. What have you seen from your experience that caused that turnaround at Wesleyan and can it be replicated at Bates? 100% can be replicated. It, it all starts with the mindset. And that's the hardest thing um, to change in a program. Um, you have a choice every day to attack a day in an elite manner or an average manner. Um, that's a choice that you make when you wake up. Um, and it's something that requires great consistency and discipline to wake up every morning and say, hey, I'm going to have the most elite day that I can possibly have. And that goes from attacking, you know, getting something, a good meal in the morning, going to class and attacking the classroom, getting in the weight room and then coming to practice. It is a very hard process. Um, and that's what I stress to a lot of the players is that this process is going to be very difficult. Um, to change the mindset and the cultural shift that we want to do in enhancing this program. Um, but it starts from the top down. It starts from our coach, myself, and then our coaching staff. We have to replicate this and, and be disciplined in our approach and not allow any leaks, you know, because, you know, it takes 21 days to break a bad habit, 21 days to build one, a great habit. But if you have one fracture in that time, you have to start all over again. So really the mindset and, and that approach into how we want to culturally shift um, this program, that's going to be the hardest part. And the faster you can adhere to that elite mindset, then good things come from that and the wins will come. But we're not going to focus on, you know, let's go nine and oh, or this, that, and the other. It's stacking great days on top of great days. I always say that all the time. We want to stack as many great days on top of great days and see how high we can build that tower. And I'm telling you, the good things, you know, come from that type of method. I was curious about, you know, rivalries because you have experience with the little three, obviously, right? Wesleyan, Amherst, and Williams. And you have experience from two of those three schools, actually. Bates has a CBB. What are your thoughts on like the rivalries within NESCAC? What's that like? The rivalries are great. Um, and every school has their unique rivalry. And, and obviously the CBB and at Wesleyan, it's a little three. Um, you sort of have those trio of teams that you're fighting against every year. And I understand the importance of the CBB. And obviously that's something that, will be one of our goals, but it's not going to be the priority. And like I said, I think that if you do the right things uh, and take the right approach and adhere to the process, 
then the CBB will take care of itself, you know, and that's sort of the method that, you know, I, I really want to stress to the team is we're going to focus each day. It's, it's each day. Let's be in the present. Let's figure out how we can get better today. And then when we wake up tomorrow, we'll figure out how we can get better on that day. And if we do the right things and everybody adheres to the, the process, then the CBB will take care of itself. Obviously, those games have a little more juice to them. You know, there's not, you know, they're, they're rivalry games. They're great, but I don't want to look too far ahead. Um, you know, we have a long process, a grueling process ahead of us. Um, but it's going to, the rewards on the back end are indescribable, you know, once we adhere to it and, and do what we plan on doing here. So when someone comes out to a Bates practice and watches the Bobcats in action this fall, what can they expect to see from you as a coach and how you run a practice? It's going to be, you know, a lot of energy, honestly. There's going to be a lot of energy and enthusiasm. Um, I'm big on competition. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be spotlighted competitions broken into practice where our coaches and our players don't expect it. Uh, I want everybody to have that good type of anxiety. Um, I want them to be on their toes at times. So we might get out of indie, you know, we might come out, do specialists, have our stretch, and then let's go to, you know, best out of three two-point plays. Offense versus defense, let's go. You know, get a little juice going, get a little competition. I think that's the only way, you know, by putting yourself through challenges and adverse times, that's the only way you can achieve true greatness. So we want to challenge our guys all the time to always be competing. You know, oh, we're going to always have an offense versus defense, O-line versus D-line, you know, wide receiver versus DB, you know, type deal built into our practices every single day. Um, and I think that's the only way to keep our coaches on their feet and our players so that when we're in moments in the game, you know, football is a crazy game because of how many variables there are. You know, you got 33 players on the three different units that are all going through different things in their lives, which causes so much variability in the game of football. So it's hard to replicate it. So we want to put them in as many situations where – they're feeling that little bit of uncomfortable uh, feeling so that they feel comfortable on Saturdays. So we're going to have a lot of energy, a lot of competition and a lot of focus. That's what you'll see day in and day out. Great. And I have to ask this because you're coming to us from Wesleyan, graduated from Wesleyan. Wesleyan in the football world is mainly known for producing Bill Belichick. Have you ever I've got to interact with Coach Belichick? Do you look up to Coach Belichick? Uh, any relationship there at all? <laughs> oh, Coach Belichick does a lot. You know, they named yeah. the Hall of Fame lobby after him. Yeah. He came back for one of our games a few years back, our, our Williams homecoming game, and spoke to our team. I mean, he's the greatest coach to ever coach, in my opinion. So, I mean, the respect I have for him, he does it at the, the highest level. Um, he's definitely a focused person. You know, he, the, the, he is the same way he is on TV as he is in person. And that's, you know, goes back to sort of the consistency and discipline in order to achieve that type of level of success. You have to be, you know, consistent in your approach, disciplined in your approach and, you know, have one goal in mind. Um, so I look up to him hundred percent. I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan. So I've, I've followed the Patriots, you know, my whole life. So Bill Belichick, you know, I have a little home homeward feeling towards him. Um, but, you know, watching him and how he operates and how he gets the most out of his players um, is something that's truly special. And, and that shows you the true power of, of an elite coach. So the state of Maine, have you got a chance to spend much time here previously besides the trips up with Wesleyan and Williams? So, no, I haven't. I mean, my fiance's family is from Fort Kent, Maine. Okay. So right on the border. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> way up there. So I don't, I've never been there. Um, okay. and, you know, obviously, you know, now I'm getting the push to head up there and I, I'm sure I'll get uh, pushed up there <laughs> to see it and, and take that long scenic drive up. Um, but just from my experience up, you know, you know, Maine, obviously I've done a few summers up here. I've gone to lobster fest in, in uh, Rockland. Um, and obviously, you know, just from going to the different, you know, the schools uh, through the CBB and, and going to each of the colleges. Maine's a great state. I mean, it's got everything you want, you know, great summers. You got ski resorts, you know, you've got Portland, which is the downtown area and even Lewiston and Auburn area, you know, that is about 110,000 people in that general uh, metropolitan area. Uh, it's just, you know, good people, fresh air, you know, it's a different type of air. I always say that when we were driving up, you know, me and my fiance, we got out of the car and I was like, man, we could breathe easy. You know, it's, it feels, it feels good. Um, uh, but it's also a state that has great people. Um, and again, just like I said, you know, the people are everything, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, on our, in our community and, and what we plan to do by influencing and ingraining ourselves into the community, um, that's going to be something that's super important to the development of our players and, and a part of our cultural piece of our program. Um, so I'm excited to explore more um, and definitely open to any advice and suggestions as I get up here and, and get rolling. But in the beginning, I, I don't think there's going to be much time for sightseeing and, and going out. There's a, there's a lot of work to be done. 
Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm eager to get to work uh, and really, you know, do what I plan on doing here at Bates College. Well, and I'm curious that you touched on obviously a lot of work to be done. Football rosters are pretty big. And how do you plan on approaching getting to know each and every one of our football players? Because there's a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's the priority. You know, yeah. as a, the power of the coach, you know, just like Coach Whalen was to me. Um, you know, you got to have true love and trust, you know, with your coach, you know, they're guiding you and, and you're believing in, I'm asking, you know, 75 players to believe in my vision and adhere to some of my policies and follow, you know, the path that, that I believe is, is necessary for success. Um, so when I get on campus, you know, and obviously officially start, I'm going to meet with every player individually. I want to know about their family. I want to know about, you know, their aspirations, what they want to do with their lives. Really, it's a lot of it's not going to be about football talk. You know, it's getting to know the person and getting to understand how to motivate that person and how to draw that elite DNA out of them. You know, I, I, I always say this, that everybody has elite championship DNA in them. The greatest coaches pull it out of them on a consistent basis. And in order to do that, you need to understand the person and not just the player. So I think it's really important to, you know, sit down with each individual you know, ask them about their expectations, what they want out of this, you know, what they're willing to give and, and really get to know where they're at so that I can coach them, you know, at the optimal level. And uh, Bates football, obviously, like like every program has a good, solid set of very passionate alums. Obviously, we, we hear from them on Twitter. We hear from them through email and whatnot. What is your message to kind of the alums of what they can expect to see when they turn on, you know, Innocent and watch the Bobcats uh, every Saturday in the fall? Well, the, talking to the alums, even in the interview process, you know, one of the things that, you know, they're going to, ex I'm going to expect is, is overall enhancement of engagement. I want them to be involved in this program. They should have a fingerprint on this program. I want them to understand, you know, on a monthly basis of what our team is going through, how we're advancing, what we're, you know, Zoom calls and things like that, so that they can stay connected. Um, obviously, they're a huge part of what we can provide for our student athletes as well, you know, but uh, it's engagement before asking donation, you know, and that that's the thing. And that's what I always talk about is obviously, you know, you, you, it's, you need your alums to be engaged and you need them to, you know, provide enhancements that will help separate us from, you know, other schools in the recruiting process. Um, but when they, what they can see from us on Saturdays is, is we're going to compete and, and that's all it is. We're going to compete and we're going to play disciplined brand of football. Um, and we're going to have our guys ready uh, to go out there and prepared so that they're not walking into a situation where they feel like, you know, they didn't expect this or that. We're going to go into a game ready to compete uh, for 60 minutes and put our best product out on that field. I'm curious, you know, in your career in football, what's one of your fondest memories or moments that uh, really sticks out to you? I mean, for me, it was it was it was as a coach in 2013 when we won the NESCAC championship. Um, you know, I was a, you know, I was part of a turnaround, you know, when I transferred from Williams, it was very difficult because Williams team went eight and oh that year. Um, I knew I was sort of leaving a, a very good situation, but again, uh, you know, I wanted that challenge and, and I, I felt like, you know, being closer to home and going somewhere and leaving sort of a, a legacy in a way, like my own legacy. Um, you know, we went four and four and five and three. So it wasn't, you know, it was the right trajectory going up there, but I knew that, you know, myself and, and a bunch of the, of my classmates are very proud that we set that foundation, you know, and then as a coach to be able to see it come to fruition and see something that hasn't happened in almost seven decades um, happen in front of your eyes and know that, you know, you were a small part of that. Um, that was pretty cool. And that, and that was pretty, that was something that really, you know, made me understand the value of a coach and made me just love this profession. And obviously, you know, you have a turnaround opportunity here as well, right? I mean, that must be one of the appeals, right? You know, we want to do something special here and that's the plan. We're not, you know, obviously it's a process, like I said, and it's going to take, some time, you know, and we understand that everybody understands that how much time is, is to be determined based off how we adhere to the cultural shift. Like I said, the mindset of approaching each day and having that belief in something you can't quite see yet. Um, once you can get there and anything is possible, um, I've seen it firsthand, I've lived it. So, you know, that's something that, you know, we're going to have to drill into our players' brains, you know, and that's something that's going to be the priority. Um, but Yes, that that is something that I plan on doing. You know, I wouldn't take this job to to not try to win. You know, that's that's something that I want to do. It'd be great to do it at Bates because everybody is, is wants it. They want success. They've been waiting for it. And, you know, it's these players deserve it. Um, and that's really what we're going to try to do.
and Brendan Costa, the quarterback you touched on earlier, obviously graduated now, but kind of set a foundation here and what he was able to do this season. And then I, at least, am very excited. It's based on one game, but first-year quarterback Colton Bosley set the Bates program record for passing yards in a game against Hamilton on senior day. Have you got to talk with him at all? I mean, because he's the future. Yeah, I did. I actually, when I was you know, up on campus, Colton you know, walked me around the facility a, a little bit. And it was actually great to get a little one-on-one time with him and just talk to him sort of quarterback to quarterback. Uh, you know, we're, we have sort of different mental makeup. Um, you have to. Um, so, you know, he, he had a great game and, and he has a great future ahead of him. And I think that, you know, what that game did for him is provides that level of confidence. You know, once you know you can do it, now you change as a player. And I think he went out there and, you know, I watched that game and he went out there and just, you know, he slung it, you know, he, he just went out there and, and said, Hey, I'm ripping it. You know, and, and it was something that sometimes that's how you have to do it. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, we can build off that. And obviously we have great, you know, players around him that we're going to put in positions where we're going to, you know, put our best players in positions to make big plays. Um, and he's one of them. Mo's one of them. You know, we have guys that, you know, we expect, to go out there and, and, you know, put pressure on a defense from an offensive perspective. Um, but really, you know, talking with him, it's, it's the big thing. And, and it's something that I, you know, loved how coach Sidlecki did is he used to talk to me and say, what do you like? You know, what plays do you like? What type of concepts do you like to run? I'm going to put him in a position and our offensive coaches are going to put him in a position where he's running things he's comfortable with so that he executes it on a fast rate. And he feels confident in every decision he makes. Um, there's no, if he doesn't like throwing, you know, deep dig post and we're not going to run deep dig post, you know, that's so for us, we want to put our players in the best position to, you know, execute at a very high level. I never got a chance to see you play. What kind of quarterback were you? I ran around a bit, um, you know, so we were, I was a running quarterback. Um, I could throw it, but I, I was definitely, I love to move around. Obviously, I think if I played a little more in the modern day with the gun, you know, zone read RPO, I think that would have benefited. Um, but I was a boot waggle under center play action quarterback that would see B gap open and scramble because <laughs> I love to run with it. But, uh, you know, I took a lot of risks sometimes coach did like, he didn't love that. Uh, but again, you know, you live with it and you move on and you just go to the next play. Great. Well, your thoughts you wanted to share about being the new head coach here at Bates. We haven't gone to talk about yet. Well, I'm just, you know, super excited to get to work, you know, and I, and I think, you know, we're going to, you know, the plan here is to, you know, formulate the best staff, um, get the staff in place as, as fast as we can, um, and then continue to, you know, finish up on this recruiting class, um, put our team in the best position, you know, populate the team with the best players. Um, and then, you know, like I said, get to work, you know, really it's going to be, you know, putting in some structure, some discipline into, you know, what we plan to do here from a workout standpoint, academic standpoint, you know, campus and community standpoint. Um, but overall, you know, I, I'm just thrilled, you know, I, I'm honored and, and I'm super grateful. It's a humbling, you know, experience. And it's something that now it's, now it's on me to, to put the work in and, and, and prove that we can do something special here. And that's what we are going to plan to do every single day. Once I step foot on campus. Excellent. Matt Coyne, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcast and, and welcome to Bates. Thank you very much, Aaron. The men's track and field team took home a third straight Maine indoor state championship on Saturday. Unlike the tie from two years ago, this time the Bobcats won it outright by 60 points over rival Bowden. First year Truman Williams shined for Bates, winning the state title in the 400 meters in 50.52 seconds. He finished second in the 200 meters and helped Bates play second in the John Corcoran 4x400 meter relay as well. And Truman Williams is our male Bobcat of the week. Well, Truman, we had you on two weeks ago. But we, got, we got to have you on again. What a performance at the Main State meet. First of all, take us through what it felt like to you know, take home that trophy for the Bobcats as a team. And it felt amazing. Um, our captains gave a speech at the end, and one of them said, "It's don't forget that it's our coach's first, to- first year as a head coach, and we brought it home for him after a brutal tie last year from what I hear. And it felt amazing um, seeing that picture of the whole team with um, that trophy pop up on my Instagram from people's stories on the website. It just, uh, it feels phenomenal. It feels phenomenal. And obviously you played a big part in that. Uh, the 400 meters, well, I mean, uh, those are obviously, were, were there different heats? So you didn't quite know if you'd won until, how did that work kind of? Um, so typically they do, um, everyone or most people have um, a seed time, which is what their coach thinks they'll run or what they have ran yeah. it, um, in past meets. So they went from slowest to fastest seeds, and I knew I was the second seed. Okay. Um, and I felt really good about it, but I was running um, in lane six, so I couldn't see where anyone else was. So um, my coach was telling me, don't worry about it. Lane six is arguably the best lane on the track. 
um, don't worry about it, trust your training, you got it. And right before the race, um, he looked at me, he said, have fun. Um, and I had fun. <laughs> yeah. You crossed the line, you know you won at that point, or you have to check? Um, I, I don't think I knew I won until I was on the ground um, and I saw the whole team just sort of envelop me. Uh, they were surround me, nice job. Uh, I had just run a 400, which was very brutal, both mentally and physically, so I hadn't, I didn't, um, I wasn't 100% there. I was sort of um, trying to figure out what I need to do to feel better. Um, and it was just a moment of pure energy, and I could, I really understood what they meant um, with the state meets energy. Yeah. Um, when I was running, um, people were slowly um, encroaching on lane one, they maybe three or four lanes out um they're on the inside and just running and feeling the person behind me um and i knew that there are so many people there with me supporting me it felt amazing awesome and then obviously a really strong performance in the 200 and the 4x400 but take us through the relay because the relay is always a, an interesting event i'm sure right so um in high school i used to do the first leg of the relay yeah. but coach johnson moved me to last leg yeah. um so it's been um a lot more stressful um, because I need to watch everything, whereas before sure. it was just I do my part and then I'm done and I get to cheer for everyone else. Whereas now, um, I believe it was Colby, they had they had a sizable lead mm. by the time we got it. Um, Liam came in, I knew what I had to do, I got the baton, and I always, um, my first goal is always to get out um, as fast as possible to make up as much ground in that first 50 meters because you don't really feel um, as fatigued as you would at the rest of it. Um, and I came around that and I saw um, the person in front of me just finishing the turn and I, I really felt it um, and I just tried to hang on every time I caught a glimpse of him. He was a little bit closer, but I just couldn't pull through. Mm. But, but it second was... second place still scored yeah, points. Uh, yeah. It was. And then we finished and it was the same thing mm. as the 4x4. Four four. I'm, I'm sorry, as the 400. Sure. Yeah, just everyone, just the joy, the team's energy was phenomenal. I remember um, after it, I watched the video of the 400 and the 4x4, um, and they had the camera on the finish line, and right after I crossed the line, a whole bunch of people jumped up. They were cheering, and, I mean, I could tell they're all Bates people. Um, uh, Coach Johnson, he turned around, high-fived another person. Um, and then just, they all went to the finish line. It was, yeah. Awesome. And then um, I'm going to ask you, how much recovery time did you get between each of these events? Because three events, I mean, I was talking to Elise Lambert, she did three events as well, but three's a lot. <laughs> well, definitely for the distance runners, it's another yeah, piece. Yeah, yeah, but, another yeah. Entirely, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had probably about, well, we got there, the meet started at 12, but yeah. the first hour was just field events, so it was great to be able to for the sprinters at least to relax a bit to watch our friends compete before we had to do it because normally there's not much time mm. that you can watch all of it but I had I think three hours before my first event um that went off that was the 400 I think I had just over an hour before the 200 and then I had a sizable amount of time probably another hour-ish before the oh. four by four so it was definitely it was enough for I so I didn't feel like my performances were hindered mm. But it was definitely, um, I was still feeling the previous events. And when it got to that 400 and I came around for that second lap, I was feeling the 400, the 200, that first half of the 400. But, I mean, it's all, it, it, it all pays off. And then the team won by 60 points over Bowdoin. <laughs> I mean, a very sizable victory. Was there any point you kind of knew, oh, we, we basically have this neat one, or do you not really know to the end? I was talking to Coach Ellis before the meet started, and he was talking about two years ago and how it looked like we were just going to lose entirely. And I always had that in the back of my head. And I, didn't, I wasn't checking the live results to see the placements because that just gets me in my head. <laughs> um, but I think a point hit where I heard people talking and they were saying, I, I, I think we have it. And I think that um, started to spread probably just before the 4x4. And I think, I know for the 4x4, it's such a fun event. Mm. Um, that even if we didn't have it, it would still be the whole team together. Everyone's so excited. Um, I, I think the whole girls team was on just one side of the track in like a 10-meter stretch. 
just yelling. And I mean, we won the meet, but I think even if we had gotten second or um, third or whatever, it would have been just an amazing experience. And I think that we got a lot out of it as a meet. Well, any other thoughts you wanted to share about the main state meet this year? I heard before the meet, um, everyone was talking the energy, the energy, the energy. And I was like, yeah, okay, the energy. <laughs> but after it, I understand like just the feeling, the buzz of that whole facility, everyone yelling at the top of your lungs, running back and forth between field events and this track. And there's always someone to yell for when um, the 5K was on the track, they spread out. So I could look, um, I was between high jump and the track and I'd turn around and be like, ooh, go, go, and then I'd go to say something to someone who was standing next to me and next thing I know, there's someone on the track running next to me that I can cheer to and it's, the energy's phenomenal. Terrific, well Truman, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcast and congrats again on a great performance and the state title. Thank you so much for having me. The women's track and field team took a close second place to Colby at Saturday's main state meet. Senior captain Elise Lambert was one of four Bobcats to win individual titles, taking home two as she won the 800 meters and the mile run. She also scored in the high jumper baits, and Elise Lambert is our female Bobcat of the Week. Female Bobcat of the Week, Elise Lambert with us here on the Bobcast, talking about the main state meet, a couple individual state titles for you. First of all, 800 meter run, mile run, how are they kind of spaced out and how did you approach both those races? Yeah, so the mile was first, um, well first I had high jump, but <laughs> first, first I had jump, but um, the mile was first and so going into it I was looking to focus really on getting a solid time down in the mile. This is my first ever indoor mile, so that was really exciting. I haven't raced a mile at all since I was like, I think a sophomore in high school. So <laughs> it's definitely been a while. So I was really excited to be able to get on the track and especially to get on the track with my teammates, um, Jordan, especially her and I have been working together at practice a lot. So I was really excited to work together with her to run a, a solid time. Um, so the focus going into the meet was definitely on the mile. Um, and then for the 800, the plan was sort of just uh, do what it takes, get the points um, and see what I could do from there. Well, the good thing about that being your first time running the mile in college is that no matter what you do, it's a personal record. Right? Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it was definitely faster than sophomore year high school, so <laughs> so that was good. And so what was kind of the competition like? I mean, a mile run, how is that approach different? I mean, obviously it's longer than 800 meters, but how, how is that training kind of different? Yeah, I mean, I quite honestly don't know, did not know what I was doing in the mile. <laughs> in the mile. Um, I obviously I've never run it, so I didn't really have a strategy going into it. I was just hoping to you know, work together with my teammates um, and see what we can do together. Um, I definitely lost touch a little bit in the middle of the race. It's easy to, there's just so much time to think in a mile compared to an 800. So um, I definitely found myself maybe doubting myself a little bit more into the, um, into like the, the half to the three quarters way through the race. Um, but then sort of finding my ground again as we kept going. Um, so it's definitely different in that there should be more strategy, even though I didn't really have any strategy. And also that there's just more time. There's more time to yeah. think. And it's less of just a, a sprint, which I'm used to, definitely. Right. But it was definitely, it was fun to, to get out there and try it, for sure. We mentioned the high jump being naturally the first event you did. And you scored in that for the Bobcats as well. And that's an event, that's an event you haven't done for a while, right? Yeah, no, I was, I, it's been probably two years since yeah. I've competed in high jump. I haven't done it since my sophomore year. Um, and I forgot how much I love it. Um, I mean, track is fun all around, but high jump was just, it was so much fun to be able to clear the bar again. Um, I didn't do it at all in outdoor because we were focusing on distance or on middle distance and focusing on the 800. And it was also coming back from some weird injuries from break. And then at the beginning of this season, I wasn't training either because I had more, some, some more weird foot injuries. Um, and so we had kind of ruled it out. And then randomly at practice, my coach was like, hey, you want to high jump this weekend? I was like, all right, sure, like I'll break the two-year hiatus. And I definitely did better than I expected coming off of two years of no practice. Um, definitely not close to what I was doing sophomore year, but it was still a lot of fun to be able to jump again and, and sort of break that seal and get back out there. And I kind of want to start doing it again more and more going forward just because it was such a great time. Right, I was going to say, at least you were training for the mile, you mentioned with Jordan Wilson, <laughs> right? Um, but you weren't training for the high jump at all, it sounds no, I, I think I've practiced once in the past like month for yeah. it, um, not really worked on it. I mean, mile training and 800 training, it's, sure. it's pretty much the same thing. Like I, I tend to train more on the distance side, mostly because a lot of my, I have like really strong teammates who, who focus in the mile um, and are strong distance runners. So it's easy to just sort of join their training. 
Um, so that wasn't too different. High jump was definitely switching it up a bit. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, speaking of strong distance runners, I mean, the cross-country season this year was spectacular, obviously, for the Bobcats. And we saw that, again, the distance runners, I think, the one through five and the 3,000 exactly. meters. Right? What, what's that group like? I mean, it's wonderful to, to run with such a strong group of women. Um, where I mean, I'm, we're fortunate enough to be on such a great team and um, just – I, I love the people I run with. Uh, the milers, the three Kers are such a solid group and it's it's always great to be able to do workouts with them when I do step up to do those more painful distance workouts. <laughs> it's always nice to know I have Jordan and Jill to sort of carry me along. Um, and they're awesome people. There's nobody on this team who I don't absolutely love and love running with. So. Um, I'm, I'm definitely fortunate in that way. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you did three events. Did you get a chance to watch any of the other events that much, or were you preparing for each one as you kind of went along? Um, yeah, I mean, I was sort of focused on just warming up, cooling down. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of distance people, a lot of people on the team definitely deserve some shout-outs this week sure. just because they um, really, like, sort of stepped up to the plate and took on so many events. Um, I know a lot of distance runners felt very overwhelmed, like Jordan and Beth were doing the mile and the 1K. Um, I know Rowan did the 1,000 and the 4x8. Chrissy did the 600 and the 4x4. Maggie did the 600 and the 4x8. Like so many distance runners um, who really stepped up to the plate. And um, also Abby Otterbein, who did her, you know, I think she did four events this weekend. So many people were really, to willing, really willing to put themselves out there and sort of push ourselves past the distances we're usually used to running and um, the amount of competition we usually do in a meet. Um, so it was really nice just to see everyone sort of like really in it together. I was going to say, is three events kind of the limit? Because I know you've been in the 4 by 8 before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three events is definitely <laughs> – I mean, I was offering near the end of me, and I was like, put me in a 4 by 4 put me in a 4 by 8 let's go, like, let's do it. Um, just because it's fun, and I was, yeah. having, I was having a great time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't think I've ever – I besides the same meet, I'm not, not usually in more than two events. Right. Um, three events, I could see that happening at a normal meet, like if I do high jump again, probably doing high jump and individual event in a relay. I think it was just weird to do two individual events because sure. – I'm so used to doing like my individual event and then also doing a relay and maybe a field event thrown in there. But I mean, I'm coming from sort of a background in high school where I did multi events and I was always doing four four events per meet. Right. So um, I, I mean, I haven't really had that chance to do that much in college, but um, it's not too too terrible of a triple. But I know for other people, they're used to doing just one event and like just their event and they all really stepped up this week. <laughs> sure. And then what's it like being one of the captains on this team? It's fun. I mean, Honestly, a lot of the seniors are very just leadership oriented. So um, even during cross country, like there, there really isn't any difference in my role at all. I mean, besides more communication with the with the coach, but um, it's really no different. I'm I still feel the same way, and I'm sure like I have the same amount of say in anything as any of the other seniors do and any of the other upperclassmen. So it's it's nice to have a title, but it, <laughs> in the end, it doesn't mean uh, completely everything. <laughs> sure, sure. What's next for the women's track and field team? What are some things you're looking forward to here? Yeah, so we're going to BU. Um, some of us are going to BU at Valentine Invitational this Friday. Those of us who aren't racing there are racing the next weekend at Bowdoin. Um, so that will be the final meet for a lot of people for their season. Because then after that, it's D3 New England's and then looking forward to nationals somewhere in there. <laughs> and you mentioned you'd love to do the high jump more. I, I, what, what do you, have you talked with Coach Jay about what events you'll be focusing on? Um, <laughs> not really. The high jump has always just sort of been like, it's for fun. Um, sure. It's never really been something that has been prioritized. We definitely prioritize 800. And, um, you know, I'm looking to do maybe another 600 or 1,000 just because those I love those events. Like, like those are just like the super indoor-specific events. Um, they don't run at nationals, though. So oh, okay. um, right. well, I wouldn't obviously wouldn't be focusing on those too much going forward, but I'd love to just get another chance to run one of those events as well. Sure, awesome. Well, at least thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcats. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. The men's squash team finished third at the NESCAC Championships, winning their quarterfinal against Amherst in dramatic fashion. With the match tied at four, junior Gerard Singh found himself down 10-6 in the fifth and decisive game of his match at the number seven position. Singh rallied to tie the first to 11 win by two match at 10. Then he engaged in an epic back and forth, finally prevailing by a score of 19 to 17, clinching the match for Bates. I don't know if I've ever seen a decisive fifth game go that deep. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, obviously it's only first to 11. This one went, what, 1917, I think in the end. Yeah. Take us through it. I mean, that's gotta be exhausting, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was actually like super exhausting. Like I basically emptied all my tanks like in that match, and like it was actually back and forth for a while. Uh, I won the first game. The Amherst guy won like no, actually the Amherst guy won the first game. I won the next two, 
he won the fourth. And then uh, I was actually down 10-6 in the fifth. And then I was like, oh, no. And I, just, and I saw all my teammates and my coach pull up outside the court. I was like, oh, no, this is like the deciding match. It's four all. That's when I thought I need to, like, step up now. And then I got to 10 all. We went back and forth for a while. And then finally, like, I got the win. What made this match so even in your mind or this opponent? He was like super fit, mm. so I like I like to be I'm an attacking player, mm. so and he was I usually win by attacking my like killing my opponents like in the front, but he was getting to everything every ball he was getting there. I was like super tired by the end of it, but I just kept on going and going keep kept on attacking and that's like finally it broke him so. And so we were talking about this a little bit before the interview, but you, you touched on it earlier, but, like, you didn't know explicitly that it was a deciding match, but you got the sense of it, and you get the sense of it when you're down to the final point, right? I mean, it's yeah. 10 to 6. I mean, yeah. what's going th- how do you, what adjustments did you make, if any, to rally to tie that? Because that's four unanswered right there. Yeah, no, like, I was like, uh, so I started, like, playing the ball deep in the court more instead of attacking, so I was, like, super safe with it. I was not going for stupid shots mm. at all. I was playing super basic squash, and yeah, that's what got me to ten all. Yeah, certainly. And then, I mean, the celebration on the court. I obviously saw it on the video and everything. What was that like for you? <laughs> oh, it was crazy. It was like uh, I saw like my freshman year captain Graham. Mm-hmm. Won, like he won the match against Mid my freshman year, so it was pretty crazy. And then like to experience it, like and to do it, it was like even better. I felt like it felt amazing. I and mean, that's probably like as exciting as a moment of you as you can have, right? In the sport, I mean, down to the last final point and then into extras, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, what also made it more special was uh, we actually lost to Amherst like right three weeks ago, I think, and it was like same five four, and they did the same thing to us oh. in our house. So it was like it was a heated match, but <laughs> it, it felt amazing. Had you played him before, or was this a different opponent? It was a different one. I was okay. like, I was playing number eight mm-hmm. when they visited us, and like I moved up to seven now. Mm. So yeah, yeah, you've been moving kind of between like six and six, seven, eight throughout yeah, the year. Moving, what's yeah. what's that been like, kind of in that spot in the lineup, sort of? Alec got injured, right, uh, in the quarterfinals, so I had moved up to six. Yeah, for my semis against Trinity. Against Trinity, that's no fun. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was not fun. <laughs> also because I was gassed, so I was like, right. I was like, I was just going through. I was like, oh, I need to get through this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I got through it. So yeah. <laughs> and then, um, tell me a little bit about your background. Um, you're from India originally, right? So yeah, tell yeah. me about growing up. How did you get involved with squash? Uh, actually, my dad put me into squash. So my dad's cousin was into squash. So my dad just like sent me to the club with him, like just go try out for like as a fun summer sport. Mm-hmm. But I eventually got hooked onto it. And I've been playing it ever since. So I was like seven or eight years old when I started it. And yeah. What made Bates the place for you when you're looking at colleges? Actually, Bates was my ED1. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally like, I said, reached out to a few coaches. I was looking at like Drexel and FNM as well. Mm-hmm. But Bates just like called out to me. The community, the team, everything was like super nice. I never visited Bates, but I talked to the former coach and he spoke highly of it. Uh, I know some folks, international students, will go to high school in, in America for a few years. Did you do that, or did you go straight from India to Bates? No, I came straight from India. Okay. So it was, like, quite a transition for me, like, culturally and academically. It was pretty hard, but I got the hang of it now, so. Tell me a little bit about the adjustment, you know, uh, because I remember I talked to Lutsa Polgar uh, about her adjustment coming straight um, uh, from her home country. She mentioned, <laughs> it was so funny, she was like, Americans dress very sloppily there. <laughs> 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 see, that's what she, that's her adjustment was. What was maybe your adjustment coming up? What were some differences? I'd say academically. Mm. Because like uh, back home, I, it was like more of like a test-based uh, ac- academic. So I had a hard time writing all the uh, research papers. Oh, okay. So I was really struggled the first yeah. semester. But yeah, I got the hang of it. Now I'm, like, I'm fine now. But Academically, it was like the hardest transition. NASCAC championships, third place showing, pretty strong for the men. Um, so coming up on Team Nationals, what are some thoughts on that coming up in a few weeks? Uh, so we're actually pretty excited for that because we're going to be seated higher than we thought mm-hmm. because of like the good result we got this weekend. 
So we're pretty excited, and uh, we're gonna start grinding. We have a we have a day off today, mm. so just to recover because everybody's like everybody's body's like broken down right now. Right, right. So we're gonna get to the grind tomorrow. So yeah, we're pretty excited for that, and hopefully we get good results there as well. And it was a good team effort against Middlebury, also I thought because as you mentioned, everyone had to move up a spot yeah. for the Middlebury match, and then Jonathan Walker got the decisive win, right? Uh, oh yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah he pulled it out. <laughs> it, it was massive. He was two off down, mm-hmm. and then he brought it back to two all, and he finally pulled up like a three two win, which is uh, yeah, that was a deciding win. So that was actually super nice, and Matt Laser as well. Yeah, he he he, he did the same thing. Two off down. Brought it back to two all and then one three two for us. It seems that you guys have been grinding out a lot of five game matches. It seems like this year. <laughs> no, yeah, like especially against Middlebury, we had like yeah, we won five four yeah, and all the five matches were five gamers. Right. So it was super intense and like heated as well a little bit, but yeah, we got the win. I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't win, but the team carried me. So well, you 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 earned a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was. I was. <laughs> my tired. body was done. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it was broken down. <laughs> Well, I mean, so what's it been like um, with Coach Hergath? What what has he brought to the table, kind of? Uh, Rye has been like, I think he's he's the best coach we could have like ever asked for, like technically as well, and like he's also like a big brother to us, mm. and like he's because he's young, he, right? He, he he just got out of college like a few years ago, so he knows what like a college student goes through, so he knows what we're going through, what's up with us, and. He supports us like in every way possible, on and off the court, which is super nice. Terrific. Well, any other thoughts you want to share about the season so far? I mean, coming back from a, obviously a, a COVID non-competing year to finally getting back on the court must be nice, right? Yeah, it's it's super nice, and like we've had a challenging season so far with the matches and everything. Mm, right. We've had some big teams, so but so our hard work like paid off this weekend. We did pretty well in NESCAC, so we're pretty happy about that. But ready to take on some teams as well for like the next the next weekend at nationals sounds good Gerard Singh thank you so much for joining the Bobcast really appreciate thank it thank you thank you Aaron the Nordic skiing teams competed at the UVM Carnival over the weekend while the Alpine skiing teams had their events canceled due to weather for the men's Nordic team sophomore Cal Shrupp continued a breakout season placing 20th out of 93 collegiate skiers in Friday's sprints and 18th in Saturday's 10k classic for the women sophomore Olivia Cuneo continued her strong year leading the way in the sprints in 21st place and taking 33rd in the 10K Classic. And Olivia Cuneo joins the Bobcast. The sprint was the first day. That was a skate sprint. And when we arrived on Thursday, we like to preview the course the day before. Um, and it was just starting to snow. So Crassbury, which we're, that was the place we were, supposed to get this really big snowstorm. And a couple days before, it had rained and then frozen, so it was, like, pretty icy that day. And the course was fast. We were all excited, but we knew the snow was coming. And so we get to the race the next day, and it is just, like, covered in new snow, and it's fresh powder. And honestly, I'm more of a power skier, so it wasn't the my favorite conditions. I like it when it's, like, hard pack and fast and nice, but we were going through, like, four to six inches of powder at some places in the race, which for a sprint, it slows you down tremendously. So, yeah, I mean, it went well. I think the team, for the most part, had some really good races, but um, definitely not my favorite conditions. (laughs) And then uh, the classic race on Saturday, um, it had cooled down overnight, and they groomed really well, so it was like the best possible conditions for classic skiing. It was super hard pack, super fast, and the coaches did a really good job with the skis, so that was awesome. Great, great. And then tell us a little bit about your background growing up from Vermont, right? So it was kind of a homecoming for you? Yeah. Um, so Crassbury, again, that was the place that yeah. the, the race was at. I have grown up skiing there for a lot of years. I know the course pretty well. Um, I'm not originally from Vermont. I was actually born in the Netherlands. Okay. I'm not European. My parents were just over there, <laughs> gotcha. overseas for a conference. Um, and I lived in Seattle, Washington for some time and also Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I've kind of moved around the map. Um And then I also took a gap year right after high school, and I went to Sun Valley, Idaho. Um, So that was a new experience. I hadn't really lived out west before. And then this past year, the COVID year, I also took another gap year and went out to Bozeman, Montana. So at this point, I feel like I know the general areas of the country pretty well. (laughs) So where during this kind of journey did you start Nordic skiing, and how did you get into the sport? Um, So my dad fell in love with it in his late 20s. He never did it growing up. but I guess it was he loved it. And he wanted his kids to get into it. So 
I started skiing at a really young age, like two or three, and this place called Pigeon Creek in uh, Grand Rapids, so Michigan. It was or like right outside of that, and I actually really disliked it as a kid. But and it was one of those things where like this this course that we skied at when I was really little had like no hills, but I thought it was the hilliest, hardest thing ever. And my dad would put me in this little snowsuit, and we'd go out on the course, and I'd be so slow, plopping in the snow every like five seconds. And then he'd come back and be like, Olivia, like get up the hill. And he'd pick me by the up by the hood of my snowsuit and like drag me up the hill. And those were my first memories of skiing. And then we thankfully, thankfully there was some motivation to it, and the lodge would always serve hot chocolate and so I would go super slow throughout the whole ski and then at the very end I would sprint to the lodge <laughs> so that's how I grew up skiing um and then I ended up going to ski school in high school and had its ups and downs I wasn't super healthy for all of high school I yeah I'd struggle with some health issues and now I'm here at Bates and I really love it more than I ever have well and how did Bates get on your map how did you decide you want to come here for college um, originally I was like, I'm not going to any of the main schools. I'm ruling out all of the main schools. I'm looking at some of the other schools for skiing, but I met with Becky, who's the coach and I really, really liked her and she made me feel welcome. Um, so yeah, that's how I kind of decided on school. And I really liked the environment here when I toured it as well. Great. And so the COVID year, you mentioned the gap year. How'd you spend it out in Montana? A lot of Nordic skiing? Because I was talking to Cal Shrupp, he said more Alpine for him. But yeah. how was it for you? Yeah, funny. Cal, Cal and I didn't actually see each other that much, <laughs> even though we lived like five minutes from each other. Um, I went out with the intention to train with the BSF team, which is pretty much like the pro team out mm. there. Um so I trained with them almost the entire fall, but then winter came and to travel to the races and be with the team, it's, there's a large price tag on it. And I had already done that in my other gap year. And I was like, you know, I have three more years of college skiing, so I'm just going to have fun and kind of tool around. And I, I still continue to Nordic train, but it was more on my own or with my friends and didn't really do any races. So mm. I, def I definitely had my fair share of Alpine and back backcountry skiing as well. Sure, and, and you've come on strong this year with some really good carnival oh, fans, including you. this weekend. So what do you think has been a key to your success so far? Um, I think I have a different mentality about skiing. I think throughout the years it's been really results-driven, and again, it's more pleasing. Like my coaches or my parents or whoever is around me that has been watching me grow up in the ski world, and I think... These past couple of years after taking some time off, I've realized how much I like skiing and how much I love the prospect of racing. And so I've just come into this season and I'm I'm like older and I know my body at this point. So, um, yeah, I just think that I'm, there's more to racing than I ever thought there was. And it's so fun to work with the team that is also on the same page. We have a huge girls team yeah. and so many different levels of skiing and so many different personalities. So um, even though I've grown up in the ski world, I learn something new from all of them every day, which is so cool. Yeah, I was going to ask, that was my next question about the team. What's the, the dynamic like if you wanted to kind of expand on it, I guess? Um, yeah, so I would say you have a couple of personalities that are more on the quiet side, uh, definitely put together. And then you have some louder personalities or like two or three people in mind. And if they listen to this podcast, they will know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they keep it light and fun. And, uh, I just think everyone has grown to kind of find their place and have certain relationships with one another. And there's no tension between the groups of people, which I find so awesome because usually on a ski team, which is a highly competitive team, we're all fighting for spots every single weekend to go race. There's bad blood, but for this team, it's amazing how well everyone can work together. Yeah. Great. What are some goals you have kind of moving forward this season? I started off the season feeling kind of sick. Unfortunately, my first carnival maybe even my second, like halfway through my second, I I wasn't feeling well. And so this past carnival, which is the third carnival, I started to feel good again, which was awesome. And so I just want to see if like I can continue to feel better and feel faster. I, again, like the way I've shifted my mindset to not think about results as much right. and more think about the process. I, I don't think I have any result goals. I think it's just I, I want to go out there and I want to, like, see where I compare to some of these competitors around me, some super fast skiers, and kind of just have fun doing it. I want to finish off the season feeling good about the effort I put in. 
Excellent. Well, Olivia Cunio, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. The basketball teams made some history over the weekend. Captain Megan Graff became the 21st Bates women's basketball player to reach 1,000 career points when she scored a game-high 29 in the Bobcats' loss to Trinity on Saturday. For the men's team, Monday's win over Umaine Farmington was the 159th of head coach John Furbush's career, making him the winningest coach in program history. Well, John, congratulations on breaking the program record for career wins as a head coach here at Bates. And I didn't tell you about this in advance. I don't know if you even knew. I told your assistants. Did you know you needed one more win? I had no idea. I mean, last night, you know, we, we won. I go into the locker room. I'm about to address the team. And, you know, we were obviously really excited about the way we finished. And I, neither of my staff members were in the locker room. And I, and I was a little bit confused by that. And then, you know, what, then when they came in, Graham had a ball. And, you know, I know the game was a little bit chippy. And, and, and I'm like, man, did you, just, did you just take a ball from Farmington? What is this? And, uh, and, and no, and he, and he made it, he made the announcement about it. And I, and I, it was, uh, you know, I'm still a little bit emotional about it. Cause I was, I had no idea. And, um, you know, like it was, it was just a really cool moment to like think about the last, you know, 14 years and to uh, have that moment with Graham, who was responsible for a lot of those wins as a player, um, you know, meant a lot to me. And, and obviously having Ronnie on board with that was, he's been such an incredible addition. So, you know, it's just been like, uh, I mean, I have way too many calls, emails, and texts to reply to. I, I just, I, the outpouring of communication that's come my way since last night is um, just reminding me what we do is so much bigger than basketball. So it's been a, kind of a whirlwind of emotions the last, the last uh, 16 hours. And the coach you, you pass and win, George Wigden, is obviously still in the area and whatnot. What kind of relationship do you have with him? Yeah, Coach Wigton, um, he's, he's been just a great uh, – supporter of the program even though he's you know not directly involved anymore and um you know he comes we have an annual golf outing that he comes to and it's really been um for me it it, it's given me so much more purpose in what we do because the the amount of former players of his that come to the golf outing and they spend time and they tell stories from you know the 70s um it's it's amazing that those relationships have lasted as long as they do and you know those guys are you know, I'm on a text chain with a few of them and, and, you know, they're just super supportive of the program because of the experience that coach Wigton gave them. So just to be in a conversation with him, you know, is an honor for me. Great. And then you mentioned the game was obviously um, a, you know, battle there. I mean, you guys had to rally for multiple deficits. So take us through kind of the game in general. Obviously you have a different look than you saw last time. Cause this time they had their star in Moss, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I think that actually helped us because, um, you know, like any, any athlete, you kind of rise and falls a level of competition as a coach. I've yet to figure out how to, to replicate that when we're not going against somebody. So I think our, our guards immediately got engaged um, because Moss is very, very good. And um, he let us know pretty quickly why he's as good as he is. Um, and then we made an adjustment on, on how to defend him. And these guys did a great job forcing him to his right hand. Um, and, and, you know, we, we just, there's points in the game where I feel like we became more unified as a team because we've had moments like this earlier in the season where we haven't got a stop or we haven't made a shot. And I just felt like there's a collective identity of people that are like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to make the right play. We're going to win this basketball game. And, and obviously they did. And, um, but it was not, there was never a point in the game where I was like, these guys just wouldn't go away. We got the lead they came back and I just knew um, our, our guys were going to have to step up down the stretch and, and they clearly did. And what's it like competing against a former assistant of yours and Sam Leal? It's kind of cool to have the Furbush coaching tree now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, I guess that even that added to the emotions that, you know, somebody who worked for me for a year and, and you know, we've become good friends, obviously, since then. And uh, so, yeah, I, I have a better grasp now of how Coach Riley at Wesleyan feels when he plays me because I was doing that with Sam and, you know, I think uh, – what he's doing at Farmington is incredible. He's, he's had such a quick uh, burst of success in his real first year coaching. And I'm just really happy for him um, to, to have these, the moments that he's having. And, and uh, I just knew it was going to be a war for 40 minutes. And, and it's great that we came out on top both times this year against those guys. And obviously it's, you know, all good preparation for the NESCAC schedule resuming this weekend. And the NESCAC recently announced that everyone's making the NESCAC tournament this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that piece of news and how does that impact the team, if at all? Um, I think given the circumstances of this year, it's a, it's a great format. Uh, I don't think there's still a couple of teams that probably aren't going to play a 
full regular season NESCAC schedule. So um, for them just to, to, to validate like, hey, we're going to have a, you know, an additional NESCAC game is, is incredible. So, I mean, I, I, you know, where we were about a week ago and we were struggling to get our first NESCAC win and I knew that was maybe coming. I'm like, hey, we just got to be getting better every day. Forget about the results. Like, let's just make sure we're making progress. So when, when we get this play-in game, whether it's home or away, like we're playing our best basketball. So I think it's a really, um, it was a smart move on the NESCAC part to, to give everybody an opportunity because, you know, in the games we've played thus far, we only have two left. There's not a team that I don't think we can beat, uh, including ourselves. Um, but, you know, I think that we, uh, <laughs> I think that we, we have an opportunity to make some noise at the right time. And, and so I, I'm really grateful for the format that they put together. Great. Well, any other thoughts you wanted to share about, you know, your time at Bates so far, obviously it's been a great ride. You, you were a player here and now a coach that we haven't got to talk about. Maybe do you want to point out at this moment in time, I guess, after setting this record? Yeah, you know, yeah, the, the record's great and all. I guess it's just, uh, you know, it, it the guys that have played before me, the guys that played with me, the guys that I've since coached, I mean, this is as much their uh, record as mine. And, and I just feel like what we've been preaching, especially this year, is this, you know, team first, selfless mindset that um, I really believe in. And and so, well, yeah, I get, I get the accolade for, for that record. I, I just feel it's, every player that I've recruited that's decided to come here and believed in what I was selling and, and, you know, graduated and all the assistant coaches who worked with me. Um, and I, you know, I've made them do a lot of things they probably didn't want to do. Uh, but the investment of all the people that have bought into what we're doing is just, it, you know, it all came together. Um, just thinking about it last night. And so I'm just, I'm a super appreciative for what I do. And, and I, I still believe what we, what we're trying to accomplish as college coaches is much bigger than whatever sport we're, we're, we're working with. So we're just trying to change lives and impact people in the right manner. And, um, and so I'm just, uh, you know, just going to continue to do what I'm doing. And, and hopefully this is not the only record that's set this year for the, the Bates men's basketball team. All right, John Prolish, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Really appreciate it. And congrats again. Thanks, Aaron. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we'll recap another big weekend of hoops as the Bobcats fight for NESCAC tournament positioning. Plus, women's swimming and diving as well as women's squash compete at the NESCAC championships. And we'll recap it all next time on the Bates Bobcast. Bates, 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 Bates.